greetings this morning. In the shepherd's name, the good shepherd. And uh, only shepherd. Guess we could put a lot of adjectives onto him. So we're here this morning because of the Lord Jesus. Okay, for a message, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We've been talking about the armor, and we will continue with that. I wonder what the armor will be this morning. Um, we had talked about how a warrior, a soldier, needs protective armor, and he needs this belt, his middle girded about with truth, protect and equip his middle. He needs body armor to protect his vital chest area. And he needs good shoes on his feet for protection and for agility. And then you need a shield to stop the missiles of the enemy, those fiery darts. And now here in verse 17, we have of chapter 6 of Ephesians, verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation. So we need a helmet, and that's the subject this morning, the helmet of salvation. And we want to explore what that helmet is and what it means. And uh, to compare scripture with scripture, you can now turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're talked about our helmet also there. And I I didn't know where to break in, so I decided to start at verse 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. And we'll read this scripture here. But the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you, for you yourselves, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness." Reminds me a little bit of the shepherd that we heard this morning, the distinction between the voice of the shepherd and those who don't hear the voice. And then the exhortation, therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet... The hope of salvation. For God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as ye also do. For a helmet, the hope of salvation. 
We as kingdom Christians put a lot of emphasis on now. Think about it with me. We believe, well, we'll get to there. We put a lot of emphasis on the kingdom life now here on earth. Because we understand the Lord Jesus, when he began his preaching ministry, he began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's near. It's here. In fact, it was started by John the Baptist. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's approaching. Jesus said, I must preach the kingdom of God to others to other cities also, for therefore am I sent. So he was sent to preach the kingdom of God in the towns. And then he sent out his disciples, and he sent them out in Luke 9, 2, and he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And this theme continued the whole way to the end of the, uh, the book of Acts. The last two verses in Acts 28, we find this, and Paul dwelt, Two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came unto him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. So we understand that to mean that the Lord Jesus came to earth to establish a kingdom. He initiated his kingdom personally. He set up the rough draft with his disciples of course, he, um, he demonstrated that he was the king by taking authority over the demons and over sickness and even over the storms. I mean, he, he demonstrated his authority. I'm the king. And then he properly defeated the devil that stood in his way through his death and resurrection. And then he ascended victor. And then he sent his spirit. And that spirit motivates or moves or drives the kingdom of God on earth. So what we have now here is an alternative nation on earth, an unconventional society. We have a peculiar people. And I mean, when I'm talking about peculiar, I'm not thinking of our our strange ways of acting. You think, well, that person's peculiar. No, we're a special people. We are different intentionally so, living in the earth in the middle of a world that does not recognize nor bow their knee to this true king. And that's why we had the concept of strangers and pilgrims. That's why we had the whole idea, the whole doctrine of separation from the world is based right on this thing here. And so we shun the luxury and entertainment and the filth that is present in this world. And our focus is on the king and on his values. Then the Sermon on the Mount, we see that is our, um, our constitution. You have the Beatitudes. You, uh, in other words, Jesus became the new lawgiver in the New Testament. You have Moses giving the, the, the old covenant and the old law to the children of Israel. And now we have... Jesus as the new Moses, greater than Moses, giving the, the new covenant and the new law, which is mostly contained in the Sermon on the Mount. It has been said, but I say unto you, he gives us the new law, and he tells us not to do our righteousness before people. He teaches us humility. 
he teaches us carefulness and judgment and to choose the narrow gate. All of these are tremendously countercultural here. So we believe this, we teach this, and we desire to live in the reality of this kingdom now that's here. But because we emphasize the kingdom here now a lot, so much as we do or we should, we may actually be unbalanced in our perspective. The strong emphasis on the here and now may actually take away from our hope of eternal future. Can happen. So part of our armor is the helmet of salvation. You should take the helmet of salvation, Ephesians says there, and in Thessalonians, like it said, for a helmet, the hope of salvation. So what is the hope of salvation? What, how would you describe What's the hope of salvation? We understand salvation to be three phases. You have a past salvation. In the past, I have been saved from the pleasure of sin. That's called repentance. You turn away from sin, you've been saved. Then we have the present tense. I am being saved from the power of sin. That's called sanctification. That's a process. Then we have a future tense. I will be saved from the presence of sin, which is glorification. It's this third phase that is in focus when we are told to put on our helmet, our hope of salvation. We have been saved. We are in the process of being saved. And we have a hope for a still in the future salvation. There is a future salvation that is coming. And we're told to put on this helmet. To, that's a protection. And that helmet is that future hope. Now we ask, why is this necessary? Are we better protected from the devil? Are you better protected from the devil if you have a hope of a future salvation? Well, you have there in Ephesians chapter, not Ephesians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where Paul says, if we have hope in Christ in this world only, we have hope, but it doesn't go beyond. It's only now. What does he say about that? You probably know the verse, don't you? We are of all men most miserable. What that means, we are to be pitied. If we have no hope beyond this life, we are to be pitied. Why? Because you are, well, we'll get into that. You're a counterculture and all that, and you're doing all these things, and you have nothing coming. If there is no future resurrection, if there is no to come salvation, what is the logical response? Eat and drink and be merry. That's a logical response. Why not? If we have nothing beyond this life to look forward to, 
then get as much out as you can. Now, I've heard it said, and I don't know, I, I, I couldn't find the quotes, but I, I know in my background I've heard it said, well, God is good, he is worthy, he is the Lord, and so I am going to serve him, I'm going to give him my life, him my life, and even if I go to hell in the end, it was worth it. Because God is worthy. And even if I don't get anything out of it, it was worth it because God is worthy. If you say that or if you agree with that, then you're not putting on your helmet. And we are directed to put on our helmet. It sounds very godly and it sounds very spiritual to say something like that. God is worth it. You might get nothing out of it. But it's actually not obedience to the Lord. <laughs> that thinking is actually when God says, for a helmet, put on the hope of salvation, the part of your armor, you are to put it on. And you say, well, I don't need it. That is, well, you ought to read the book maybe that says, I don't know, I never read the book or that, that uh, article that titled, How Do I Know When I Am Trusting God? Or when I'm acting stupid. Maybe we need to read something like that. If we say something like that. If anticipation of our future salvation is part of our armor. And if we're directed to put on the entire array of armor. Then put on this helmet also. Put on for a helmet the hope of salvation. Are you maybe not convinced yet? I think we are, but I'm still going to use another verse here. Do you remember the verse there in, at the end of 1 Corinthians 13, that love chapter? Now abideth faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Charity. Faith, hope, charity. But the greatest of these is charity. How important is faith? Well, it's essential. You don't get anywhere without faith, right? Faith believes God. It believes what he has said, and it organizes life around faith that is our ultimate reality. God said it. I believe it, and I base my entire life on it. And how important is love, charity? Well, as Paul said, if you don't have charity, you're a zero. On a scale of, of one to ten, you're a zero if you don't have love. So love is absolutely, absolutely essential. But hope, is that essential? We have faith, we have hope, we have charity, but is hope necessary? It's included in these three choice graces. Now, love is the greatest because love will be forever. When the Lord returns and establishes his kingdom in the eternal state, then we won't need faith anymore. Faith will turn to sight. And hope turns into realization but love continues so love is the greatest 
but faith and hope are just as essential as love. We are still living by faith, not by sight, and we still do not have what we have been promised, and therefore we need as a helmet the hope of a future salvation. And so, how many messages have you heard preached about on faith? How many have you heard about love? And how many have you heard about hope? (laughs) So, we'll preach a message on hope this morning. I talked to... uh, I talked to a minister recently, and I told him I'm going to preach a message about hope. And I asked him, any thoughts? And he said, that's how I survive. <laughs> this man has his helmet on. He, is, he faces issues. He has struggles. And he has challenges on many fronts. He's in a war. He has more on his plate than he can do. He, can, he has critics. He has needs in his own life. He has needs in his own congregation, etc., etc., etc. Everywhere he looks, he's in, he's in this. He said, what do you think of hope? That's how I survive. That's what hope does. Hope, well, what is it? Hope is not a wish or a desire. I hope it doesn't snow tomorrow. I hope I pass my driver's license test. I hope I don't get kicked by a cow today or fall off the roof or whatever. Now, hope, those, these are, des- are desires. Uh, these are things based mostly on desire and more or less on reality. It's not a promise. They're not based on a promise. Paul also says hope that is seen is not hope. So that's not hope. When you see something, that's not hope when you realize something. So whatever you already have, you don't hope for it anymore. So that's not hope. Biblical hope is an expectation of something to be realized in the future. It's an anticipation of something good coming. The hope is looking forward to something. To something that we at this time do not have. Something good. Um, You can actually turn to uh, Romans chapter 8. And we'll read a number of verses here. Starting at verse 18. Romans chapter 8. And what I want you to do here as we're reading this. Recognize the time sensitive terms. Time sensitive. There's. Well, we'll we'll read them. I might. Romans 8, 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time. So there you have a time sensitive statement. Are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be. That's a time sensitive. Shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waited for time the manifestation or revelation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope, because the creature itself also shall be delivered. That shall be is a time sensitive. Delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. 
For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruit of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that which that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Now these Bible verses have within them the tension that is necessary for hope. What you have there is sufferings. I reckon that the sufferings, things are not pleasant. There's hardships. There's difficulties going on. Things are not the way they should be. Right now, it's not ideal. It says we are subject to vanity. That vanity means pointlessness, futility. The why question comes up often now. And we didn't choose this situation. They were sub- the creation was subjected to it, not by choice. It was The curse came on us, and we didn't choose it. There is groaning, and there is travailing. And it's not just us, but it's all around us. It's everybody. Everything. Is this all there is? That's the question. This is talking about the tension that's necessary for hope. No, we have a promise. (laughs) This is temporal. We have promises given to us by God. We even have the first fruits there. Talking about we that have the first fruits. We have the down payment. We have a taste of what's coming. We actually have a shepherd. We have a good shepherd. But we don't have nearly all of it yet. So we are waiting. We are in anticipation. Someday this curse is going to be removed. This corruption, this bondage. We are waiting with eagerness. I talked talk this morning about waiting for my name to come up on the sign. I wasn't certain because I didn't go past there every day. Some may, maybe, this, maybe my name came up when I didn't go by. Or maybe it would never come up. Here we don't have to question. It will happen. We are waiting with eager hope for the day when God would give us our full rights as the children of God. When I talk about full rights, I mean we don't deserve anything, but he has promised us. And we can claim those promises. We actually have a right to those promises because when God says, I will do it, you have a right to it. So we're waiting for those full rights to come as adopted children, including those new bodies that don't wear out and don't get sick and don't die and don't corrupt and don't sin. We were given this hope. When you were saved, you were given this hope. So here are the necessary ingredients for real hope. Hard times now 
but the promise that it will end and will be much, much better in the future. That's the ingredients for this Christian hope. Now, there's something I want to, as we broaden out our understanding of hope, there's something we need to understand yet. Hope is both subjective and objective. And they're in the scripture both times. A subjective hope is a verb. It's something you do. It's when you are in anticipating. It's when you are hoping. That's a subjective way of hope. You are waiting. You are looking forward. You are. That's a verb. But hope is also objective. Objective hope is that thing that we are looking forward to. It's the object of our anticipation. This hope is the object of what you will actually get when you are realized. And so you are, well, let's, let's read. Let's read a few verses. And um, I'm trying to think if we should turn to these verses or not. First Colossians, yeah, turn it to First Colossians chapter 1. And we have three verses here. And I think it's worthwhile you to turn there if you can. Colossians 1, chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have to all the saints for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. Do you see this? There is something that's actually laid up for you in heaven. It's an object. It's a noun. It's something tangible in the future. I don't think they do this anymore, but when I was probably your youth age, they had something in the big stores called layaway. Now they just have credit cards and you just charge it and get it right away but you had layaway maybe you didn't have the money or you maybe you're waiting for christmas and you want whatever it was so you you maybe put a down payment on it and it was laid away for you there is a hope which is laid away for you in heaven it's waiting for you that when the time comes, when christmas comes you will go and get it and and, and enjoy it it's an object. This is the objective part of hope. Not our hoping, but it's actually something out there. And also turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. There's a lot of hopes in the beginning of these chapter in the beginning of these letters. 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 and 4. I uh, forgot to tell you, you might want to keep your finger in Colossians 1. We're going to go back there, but that's too late. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope, a living hope. That's a subjective hope. We, we have a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you 
Here, this hope is called an inheritance. And you know how that is. There, people who receive an inheritance, they, they actually may know that they're going to get it, but they don't have it yet. But they can hope for it and have an anticipation for it. And at some time, they will get it. Here, there is an inheritance. It's an entity that we're going to receive. And the entity, that, that thing, it's, and, and this, this inheritance, that the nature of this inheritance is described. And it's a lot better than money. Just listen to the description of this inheritance. It's incorruptible. You heard of people getting their government checks or whatever they get from the government because of COVID. They get the government and they, they use that to buy guns and drugs and things like that. This inheritance is not corruptible. It cannot be corrupted. It's uncorruptible, incorruptible. It's undefiled. And it fadeth not away. It, it doesn't fade it's in layaway. It's, it's reserved. There's a reservation, and it's waiting that when you get there, you got it. That is uh, similarly. Yeah, okay. Let's, let's also turn back to uh, Colossians chapter 1 again. And this time we'll read verses 21 to 23. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. Yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. What is the hope of the gospel? Should we talk about the hope of our salvation? What is the hope of the gospel? It's actually uh, mentioned in these verses. It's actually to be presented before God, unblameable and unreprovable and holy in his sight. That is our hope. After we die, we can stand before God and we actually have nothing on us. There's, there's, there's no charge against us. And if you know yourself, if you know yourself like I know myself, when I know of my, all my sins, when I know of all the ways I have wronged and I have what do you call this, lied, <laughs> how I have treated other people, what I have done, all those things, and then to be able to stand before God uncondemned. That is my hope. <laughs> That's my anticipation. That's the hope of the gospel, that when after we, after we die and our spirit goes to God and we come to the judgment, we are uncondemned. Our anger and our lust and our meanness and our pain and chaos we have created in this world. We deserve nothing good from God. And yet there we are, holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. 
that's the gospel and that's the hope that is in heaven waiting for me, part of it. The point here that I'm making here is hope is both subjective. It's something we do, a verb, and it's also objective. It's something we'll get. It's both. That's a broader way. Paul Bunyan, no, John Bunyan, the writer of Pilgrim's Progress, understood hope, and, of course, he suffered a lot. He said, hope, he says, presupposes faith. True faith in God. If there's no faith, there's no hope. To hope, to have a hope without faith is to see without eyes or to expect something without a ground for it because faith is the assurance of things hoped for. So he makes some contrast here. Faith believeth the truth of the word. Faith believes the truth of the word. Hope waits for the fulfilling of it. Faith for what is in the Bible, hope for what is in heaven. Faith says to hope, look what is promised. Hope says to faith, so I do, and I will wait for it too. And he says, thus faith says, and thus hope saves. Faith saves by laying hold of God by Christ. And now listen to this. Hope saves by prevailing when the soul, I'm sorry. Hope saves by prevailing with the soul to suffer all troubles, afflictions, and adversities that it meets between this and the world to come. So hope saves us by giving us fortitude giving us that prevailing strength between the world that we have now and the world to come. That's how hope saves us. So hope is valuable both as a defense against Satan and as a weapon against sin. And I think this is one of John Bunyan's quotes too. He said, faith is the mother grace. Hope is born of her. And charity floweth from them both. <laughs> That's pretty good. Okay. Despair is the opposite of hope. The sense of futility, of meaninglessness, of purposelessness. The, one of the examples that we would have is the, the writer of, of the Ecclesiastes where he uses the, the phrase under the sun numerous times. So under the sun, without anything up in heaven, but down here in this world, he loosed himself of all boundaries, and he, he, he went all out to find purpose and meaning in life. He tried it in pleasure. He tried it in power. He tried it in possessions. He tried it in the arts. He tried it in education. None of them gave him hope. In fact, they gave him the opposite. The more, the more, the more he pursued them, the more hopeless and meaningless and purposelessness he became. And what was it? Gloom, despondency, depression. So if hope 
is an anticipation for something good coming, what is despair? It's looking forward to something that you were expecting and not finding it. And that creates despair. Depression. Not finding out, finding it wasn't what was anticipating it. Mediocre Christianity is not supposed to work. This never was meant to work. If you're not sold out completely to the Lord Jesus, you are meant to come up dry and empty and short and frustrated. People will blame others for their issues. No one cared for me. No one loved me. My needs are not being met. Often the problem is, and I know it is very complex, so it is generalized. Problem often is in our own hearts. Because if we have a hole in our bucket, no matter how much gets poured in, it just flows out. It never gets full. And empty hearts need something to give them a, a rush, a, a thrill. And so you have the extreme sports and the daredevils and the racing motors and the shopping and the food and the social life. Many times these things are, are, are to try to fill up a void, fill up a void of an empty heart. Succeeding in our vocation is not the answer to fill this void. Neither is a claim or acceptance or applause or recognition or popularity. People can and do use religious activities to fill that void. That's what the Pharisees did very well. They were they, they, they wanted the reputation, they wanted the the power. They wanted the honor. They wanted the highest seats at events. They did their good deeds to be seen of men. And their good prayers in public. They were empty inside. They were trying to fill up those things with something else. So people will go from one thing to another and say, this will fix it. This next step will fix it. This change will fix it. This vehicle will fix it. This church will fix it. This new idea will fix it. This new teacher will fix it. But there's a limitation because these things don't fix the problem. And then there's a frustration. And then there's despair. Now, the right answer would all these things are... Now, now the right answer to all these things is that these are not the answer. <laughs> Their hearts, our hearts, our hearts need to get fully focused on the Lord. Depression is, a, is, is on the rise in this country. And we don't 
And if we don't know how to deal with despair, we are not part of the solution. Many people are in despair and are at the end of their rope. Our culture is full of despairing people. All this individuality, all this autonomy, all this freedom, and all this prosperity is not fulfilling them. It's, it's actually making it more and more meaningless. It's not working. Suicide is high. And many Christians are living just like the world and expecting fulfillment from the things of the world and other people and from the things they do and accomplish. But their hope is misplaced. They have no helmet on their head. Some people get bitter when people fail them. When they genuinely thought they were real and dedicated and giving. But then something happened and a betrayal happened. And that confidence and trust It shattered their simplistic view of the world. It was real betrayal, and it really happened. I heard of a story. Jim Berg tells of a story of a man who, with his wife, a young married couple with their wife, with his wife, they prepared to go on the mission field. And in this setting, he went to Bible school for several years in preparation. And they... They met with the mission board, and they got the post and got everything lined up, and they sold everything. They sold their wedding gifts. They sold everything they had because this was a long term. This was, this was the mission field for life. The only thing they had left in the world was what they could put in their luggage. Just before they left, the mission board called them and said, we can't send you. We cannot approve of you, and we cannot send you. We'll pull you back. And I don't know the reasons. I do not know if it was the right reason or not. That man became bitter with that kind of, probably in his mind, he had a real purpose of heart to be pulled, the, the carpet he pulled out under him like that so suddenly was, and he became bitter. Became bitter at God, became bitter at his parents, became bitter at the mission board, became bitter at his wife. And they worked, and finally, you know, he's going to divorce. He's going to, he's going to completely throw off everything and go somewhere else. Jim met him at a marriage seminar of some kind where he had been sent. And he just stood, sat there, stone-faced. He was not taken in. On Monday, he's going to divorce his wife. Jim talked to him, and he wouldn't talk. So he said, I understand. I want you to remember two things. Remember two things. I want you to understand two things. God is good. Satan is bad. And don't ever get those two mixed up. And he found out that the next week on Wednesday, this man, Bob, I don't know what his name was, brought a dozen roses to his wife. 
and reconciled with her and went through the whole reconciliation and came back to God. So there's forgiveness and there's reconciliation, and that is God's will, even when people fail and betray us. And I want to say this and bring this back in. Hope, as Paul John Bunyan says, I guess Paul here. (laughs) John Bunyan says, hope saves by prevailing with the soul to suffer all troubles and afflictions and adversities that it meets with between this and the world to come. That's what hope does. Why do we need hope? Because we're going to face things that we need hope. (laughs) We're going to face like this person faced an absolute crisis of life. Hope will take you through that. So, hope saves. What else does hope do? Well, hope purifies. You can turn to 1 John chapter 3. This is probably familiar to most of us. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 to 3. Hope purifies. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the the world knoweth us not. There again, you have that separation, that separate kingdom. Because it knew him not still doesn't. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that has this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. So what this says is we are children of a loving God. That's what we are now. God is good. What's the hope here? Jesus is coming back for us, his children. That's our hope. Part of it. And when he returns for us, we will become like him. That's when our sanctification will be completed. because We'll be like Jesus. Our sanctification will have its full accomplishment. That's our hope. That's our expectation. That's our anticipation that someday everything that I am not what I ought to be now, someday in the future I will be everything I ought to be and desire to be and can be in the future. I will be that. You will too as one of God's children. Because the Lord Jesus is going to come back. He's going to come back for you. For us. Now John is a dogmatic man. You know he says these his things have I written unto you that you might know. There are some things I want you to know. He he's he's plain. And we can know what this hope does. He that has this hope in him purifies himself. He that has this hope of future, the Lord Jesus coming back, and to be like the Lord Jesus in the future, he that has that hope right now patterns his life after the Lord Jesus now. That same 
separation that Jesus had to the Father, that same singleness of heart to do God's will, that same purity of, of motive and purity of life that Jesus had, we pursue. He that has this hope pursues sanctification. And though we know it will never fully be done until he comes, and it will be done, but this is a thing that we seek after. We fight after, we pursue after, and then we'll get the whole thing when he returns. So, and here, here's actually, so, so if this hope is in you, this hope of a future is in you, then you will be pursuing sanctification. If you are not pursuing sanctification, if you are floating along, then it's okay to question whether you actually have the hope. That's the opposite way of looking at that. Because if I have this hope, if I actually have this helmet on, I am pursuing righteousness in my own life. It propels us if it's real. And we absolutely need it. Because if we don't have this hope, then we fail to become like Christ now. And so, like I said earlier, hope is both a defense against Satan and it's a weapon against sin. It would be a good exercise for some time to look at the scriptures, read through the scriptures, and look specifically for the salvation that is promised us in the future. Rather than looking at the scriptures as a, what should I be doing? What does God want me to do? Look at the scripture one. What has God promised us? What is coming for me? What is my hope? What is my anticipation? And, and see, the, see the range of it and expand our ideas of what is coming. If you do that, you, this approach of reading the Bible will give a peace. It'll give us hope. It'll give us expectation. It'll give us joy. It'll give us praise. It'll put a spring in our step and a song on our lips. We will become satisfied. We will become overwhelmed with what God has done for us and what he will do for us. It'll become a living hope. We will not need the things of this world to fill us. If you allow yourself to be filled with the future that's coming. Now I know I'm talking to some to be married people here. I it's okay to anticipate other things. <laughs> but I'm talking about an emptiness, a void that that is so common even among the people of God and the disappointments that it doesn't reach there is enough to reach around, and I'm, I'm talking to myself when I say that. There's enough to reach around. If we see what the Lord is going to do for us, we will become satisfied. 
and become overwhelmed with what God is going to give us in the future. And that is a living hope. Abraham was given the promise of a son when he was old. He believed God. Then his faith was united with hope. His hope was eventually realized with a son. And after telling us about Abraham, the Hebrew writer turned to the Christians who were struggling. So you can turn to Hebrews chapter 6. And we'll read a number of verses here in Hebrews chapter 6. Again, encouraging us to have hope. There were some Christians who were struggling with it. They were, they, were, they were getting bogged down. Hebrews chapter 6, starting at verse 10. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Again, there we have inheritance. We have patience. We have waiting. For when God made promise to Abraham, now he used Abraham as an example of, uh, of how certain this promise is. He made promise to Abraham because he could swear by no greater. He swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing, I will bless thee, and multiplying, I will multiply thee. And so, after he had patiently endured Abraham, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. Wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise, that's us, the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold on, upon the hope set before us which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which entered into that within the veil, where whither the forerunner is for us is entered, even Jesus, made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So just like Abraham was given a promise, and he was faithful, God swore with a double oath, you will get what was promised you if you endure. There's, there you have, you have fled for refuge to the Lord. After you fled for refuge to the Lord, now also lay hold of the hope. Make sure you get good grip of that hope. And that hope, that hope, if you have a good grip on it, it's an anchor. For your soul, it will keep you. Hope keeps us anchored to the Lord Jesus, to the promises of God, to faith, to love. 
That's why we need that helmet. There's so much more we could speak of concerning hope. Job said, and uh, I'm just going to read a few verses here. And in Job, he said, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy my body, yet in my flesh I shall see God. There's a hope there. And David asked this question numerous times when he was in trouble in various psalms. And I'm going to read one verse. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God. For I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. So in other words, right now I am really and really and really in trouble. <laughs> right now I am in a, it is, everything is wrong. In the middle of that, O oh my soul, hope thou in God. He will yet do it. And yet many more uh, in, a, in a row could be paraded, but I'm going to look at one more here. And you can turn to First Peter. This is actually something that we should do with our hope, something practical. First Peter chapter 3, verses 13 to 16. And who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of them which is good? But, and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake... Happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ." So people are looking at you. They're out serving your life. Why don't you retaliate? Why aren't you afraid of their terror? They have power to destroy you, talking about the enemies. Why are you happy? Happy are you. Instead of being depressed and troubled. Why? Those People who are your enemies, those people who are not friendly to you. Oh, I have a hope. I have an inheritance that is loads and loads better than what they are taking away from me now. I don't need to retaliate. There is a God who is going to even the field completely there's justice coming and i don't need justice now i'm talking about you give a reason for the hope that's in you talking you're responding i don't need to prove myself right now you live this way all those children, you dress that way, you stay away from that. Why you do that? Be prepared. Be ready. Think your things through. 
and be ready to give a reason. You have this hope. There's a hope within you. Tell them, God is good. Satan is bad. We love God. God tells us to do this in his word. God did this for me. Jesus came and he's coming again. Our souls live for eternity. There's a heaven and there's a hell. I'm going to heaven because of this. So what this tells us is to sanctify the Lord God in your heart. I think it means simply make the Lord Jesus, make the Lord God, make him Lord of your life. And prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks of you the reason for the hope that you have. But do it. Do it with gentleness. Do it with respect. Then you'll have a clear conscience. And you do it with gentleness. You do it with respect to them. Then those who speak evil with you will have nothing Your good behavior will speak to them. They may be ashamed of themselves that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. Hope. Hope is how I survive. Hope is how I keep going. Hope is what purifies me. Hope is that anchor for my soul. Someday, what I hope for, I will have. But for right now, I have a helmet on my head called the helmet of the hope of my salvation. It will protect me from the enemy's attacks. The devil, talk about armor. The devil comes after us. This armor is hugely defensive against the devil and is very practical in our warfare also. As we go out in offensive warfare, our helmet will protect us. So as you could, could we kneel for prayer? Lord, as we consider, Lord, what you have done for us here, which is awesome, the salvation, the examples, the teachings, your spirit, the fellowship, the church, and many, many more things. And yet, Lord, all of this is only a down payment of what you're going to do. You said you're going to go to heaven and you're going to prepare a mansion for us, Lord. You, are, you went to heaven. You're there now. And you are preparing things for us. There's things we do not understand. There's things that we can't even grasp. But Lord, it's there. It's our inheritance. Lord, us rebels, rebels to your kingdom, you have redeemed And you have redeemed so that you could show us your glory, not only your glory in working in our lives, but your glory which you had and have before the world began.
that someday we will be with you and you will show us all of your glory and our inheritance and all those things that are waiting for us we will receive. Lord, I pray that that be a a driving force in our lives today to be faithful to you regardless of our pathway, regardless of the difficulties, regardless of the enemies and uh, betrayals or whatever it may be. Lord, there is more than enough coming for us. So, Lord, I pray for each one of us as we think of our helmets. Lord, may our helmets fit well. May they be on our heads all the time. May we never take them off. May you bless each one here this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.